0: Hey there, folks. Podcast producer Danks here. Luke couldn't even do this because it's so top secret. Pretty cryptic, but be at the Blues Hog spot at the American Royal
1: on Thursday night for something wild. More to come.
0: OBS, Old Virginia Smoke.
1: This podcast is brought to you by the Kansas City Barbecue Store, the official provider of barbecue supplies to listeners of Pitmaster. The dog days of summer are here, which means it's prime barbecue season. The grills are kicking, and as we get in those last days of summer, you really got to make sure you have what you need. But it also means that the American Royal is right around the corner. From smokers and fuel to rubs and sauces, the Kansas City Barbecue Store has everything and anything you could want. Make the Kansas City Barbecue Store your one-stop shop for everything that you need for the American Royal. I know that I will. This year at the American Royal, we'll be doing our first live Pitmaster Podcast broadcast from Kansas Speedway with the great folks at the Kansas City Barbecue Store. We hope to have a lot of teams come by and say hi, and we think it's going to be a lot of fun. So as a listener of the Old Virginia Smoke Pitmaster Podcast, you can get 10% off of your order, this American Royal Season by using the code PITPOD, P-I-T-P-O-D, and for online orders at www.thekansascitybarbecuestore.com. Well, welcome to another edition of Pitmaster, and Old Virginia Smoke podcast. My name is Luke Darnell, Pitmaster of Old Virginia Smoke and host of this show. And if you're listening to this, it is American Royal Week. And a lot of you will be driving to Kansas City this week. So it's my job to populate your podcast uh, uh, list and give you a bunch of different content this week. And I have to be completely honest with you, this, uh, today's guest is super special guest to me. It's an interview I've been wanting to do for a long time. And to list this, this team and this man's accolades would take me an hour. <laughs> but please join me in welcoming Mike Wozniak from QAL. How are you, my friend?
0: I'm doing fine.
1: It is great to have you on this show.
0: <laughs> I'm glad to be here.
1: We, uh, I always usually start with a story about how I, when the first time it was that we met. And I want to say that it was in Chicago at the, um, uh, uh, no at the contest out there by the Beanie Baby place. Oh,
0: Westmont. Uh, Westmont. Johnson lives, yeah.
1: Yeah, I believe that's the first time that we met and uh I was with Carrie Luke and Darren and uh I was just a just an upstart at the time when we met and I think that was the year that we won day one and reserve day two or something crazy like that and had yeah, no Darren business. Yeah, Darren
0: had a good. Uh, I remember. I think he had a grand and a reserve uh, one weekend. I don't remember what year it would have been, but uh, he did yeah. have a good weekend.
1: Yeah, it's a that's a lot of that's a great contest, and that was one of the first contests where we decided that it really was a lot of fun to get out there and and drive around and see different places and meet different people and. So that's been kind of our thing moving forward, going a lot of places. So, well, my friend, you've been around a while, huh?
0: Yeah. I, you know, we didn't, we haven't cooked this year. We were planning on doing a couple contests. Uh, Arthur, one of our favorites, it, uh, it ended up falling between the Royal and, um, uh, and the Jack. So rather than fight those contests, they just canceled it. And, uh, So uh, we're pretty well done done for this year and hopefully next year I can do a couple. I mean, we're not, you know, we're not chasing points. Like, we, you know, we used to cook 45 times a year and it was just uh, as a lot to do. We were hardly ever home.
1: Chasing points. It's funny. Whenever you see people get into it, uh, especially people who have never done it before, been around a bunch of people who are doing it and you see them, you see their mental strain and you see them, you know, getting agitated at a third place. And you know, it's, it's really funny. Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, there's times when we would, uh, you'd have to win like a category or something because you drove all that way and a second place in a category would not help you whatsoever because you're already tapped out on points.
1: <laughs> yeah. And uh, a friend of mine is engaged in it right now and he's, he texted me this weekend. He goes, you know, I'm just gonna start having fun again. I think that's the key. I think that's why I keep finishing third. I was like, there might be something to that, you know. <laughs> so let's get into some of these questions here. Okay. Uh, I kn- I know that you've been a, a mentor to a lot of people, and uh, we ask a question later about you know who's 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 successful and who's influenced uh, people who've been on the show and you're the answer to that question from a lot of people.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. Uh, you know, I used to Scotty Johnson put on a lot of classes and, uh, I think I helped out at every one of them, you know, it was for a, a cancer, uh, fundraiser. And I, I tried to instill in people, you know, how to cook. And I did catch some shit from people. They'd say, well, I, you didn't give me any recipes. And it's like, well, the recipes, you can figure that out for yourself. But I want you to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. And I, I hopefully I help a lot of people out with that because there's a lot to learn. You, if, so, if I just give you recipes and you go out and just follow it to the letter, you're, you're going to run into a situation where something goes wrong and you're not going to know what to do. But if you understand what's going on in the whole process, um, you, you should be able to cope with it.
1: And based on just conversations that you and I've had just sitting around the fire, you've done a lot of different processes and a lot of different styles of cooking.
0: <laughs> I have uh, in my barn, I was looking for some of the other, I think I have four or five different chicken cookers. Uh, my first real successful chicken cooker, it was a, 12 by 12 piece of stainless it had a handle on and I had stainless steel nails uh, welded around the outside and I would stick my uh, thighs on that and I put it in the firebox of course the firebox is about 450 degrees and then I would put four of them towards the fire then I would rotate it and we would get really crispy chicken skin with that um in fact we won i remember i think the first time we won chicken was up at shannon which was the illinois state barbecue championship and uh we used our chicken cooker and people called it they called it the cat carrier because you they, well, you could just put a couple cats on there and smash <laughs> them down on the nails and and uh, carry a fuel them that way
1: you've also done some rotisserie type of cooking too right
0: yeah, and I was going to get to that later. Um,
1: <laughs> we can save it. We can save it. No, it's <laughs> fine.
0: It, it was. You have a question here, like, what did I spend a hundred dollars or less on? Yeah, that really worked out. And I am want to tell you, very few people know this, even though everything was out in the open. Uh, two thousand seven and eight, we were team of the year and chicken. And I used the La China, which is nothing more than a plywood box with aluminum, uh, you know, thin aluminum metal lining in. And then a tin um, tray on top, which you put the charcoal on top. And it's a it's a top down cooker. And um, we we started using those, just playing around with them. And then I go, what if I put a rotisserie inside here? And I'm real good. You know, I can fabricate. I can weld. I've got a plasma cutter and, I, you know, I've got all kinds of tools so I could build stuff. And so. Um, for less than 100 bucks, it was a rotisserie motor, a spit, a basket, and I had to get make a few bushings and stuff like so I, I got like 45 bucks in this thing. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, and, and you have to go back in 2004. I was the first person to do uh, uh, lollipop chicken, which we did lollipop thighs. And they fit perfectly in the rotisserie basket. So anyway, uh, I, I come up with this thing and we would you know, I sat there and I practiced and practiced, uh, how long it would take to to do this because it's about 450 degrees inside the La yeah. And, uh, we got it down to where it was about 18 minutes and <laughs> in, it wasn't a secret and people would come around and, uh, you know, everybody, cause we would be done cooking chicken at uh, 1130. We'd put it on 20 minutes ahead of time. We were done about 18 minutes. And, uh, people knew that, but they were busy cooking their own chicken. So nobody really got a spy on us, but people would come around. They said, what is that thing? And you know, there's charcoal on top, just glowing, you know, it's red, red hot. And I'd say, Oh, we just keep, we keep that going just so we have, you know, charcoal, you know, to feed the fire with. And uh, everybody was happy with that answer and they just went on their <laughs> merry way. But, uh, we did it. Uh, we won, um, team of the year twice and then, uh, we won, uh, well, I, at the at the Royal, we went checking three years in a row. And I think the wow. first couple years were with the Lakaja China and then gradually switched to one of those commodos. And I put a rotisserie in it. And we also could get that about four fifty. But I never was as happy with the results of it because it was bottom up. Uh but the problem with the lacage always was, um, Weather, you know, because if it was windy, it burned hotter. If it was rainy and uh, yeah, wet, it didn't burn as hot. So it wasn't very. It was it wasn't as consistent as what you would hope it would be.
1: Man, that's that's just genius stuff. But there's many fables out there about some of the stuff that you've done. <laughs> you know, cooking brisket on Friday.
0: Uh Absolutely true. <laughs> I've done it for years, and I, you know, uh, I was just talking to Parrothead about it. Uh, you know, because. I always thought we had one, you know, we did, we did a resume not too long ago and I always thought we had one chicken more times. We actually had won brisket more times oh, over the years. Uh, what are we done? We won brisket 57 times. Wow. Um, and that's out of, I think 540 contests. So, you know, we're a little better than uh 10%. I think that's amazing. And, um, uh, so what we do and I, I, it's not a secret i would tell these people in scotty's class and i don't know you know if, if anybody could perfect it uh but we would uh i'd cook it real hot and fast um you know just i would cook it in a pan and mm-hmm. uh, i would inject the shit out of it. i mean you know i'm not going to you know tell you what my injection is here and everything and uh so we would just and the rub would be fairly simple salt and pepper and paprika I'm a real firm believer that you don't put, you know, real delicate spices on things at the beginning of the cook, especially brisket. You're cooking the hell out of it. You're just going to burn all that stuff up. Always add the delicate flavors later, you know, uh, once you slice it or, you know, when you get towards the end. Uh, So we would cook it up to about, I'm thinking about uh, 195, 187, 195, like that. Then I would wrap it and we would uh, put it in the um, cambro. Now, what happens is, and I would preheat the cambro. I got those discs that you heat in the in your yeah. cooker. And so the camera is 170 degrees, and the temperature in there drops very slowly. So you end up in that sweet spot where the collagen is starting to break down. And so I leave it in there four or five hours. And then, uh, you know, it's in foil. And then when it's been in there long, we take it out and throw it on ice. Ice on the bottom, ice on the top, and just stop it. So now the collagen is pretty well broken down, and all you have to do at five thirty in the morning is is throw it back on, and uh, bring it up to about two ten. And I am telling you, what, they turn out perfectly consistent every time.
1: <laughs> I remember the first time that I heard about that, and I was like, "Man, that is genius!" Just to get something out of the way like that before turn-ins on Saturday is really clear clears the mind.
0: And it a lot depends on getting inspected right away. And, uh, so, and, you know, there's a lot of content, the Royals, they were always good about, it. they would inspect right away, but there, you get some of these other smaller contests and sometimes it's hard to get inspected. So I had to change the, change the timeline, but it just means it goes on ice a little bit later, you know, but, uh, yeah, yeah. You know.
1: So you, you, you are a brilliant person, brilliant cook. How has your career and life experiences outside of barbecue prepared you to be a pit master on the competition trail?
0: Uh, well, I, I've always been really, really competitive. Um, I raced motorcycles for 11 years. Um, I was two-time district champion in hair scrambles in Illinois. And uh, then, you know, in, in 1985, I got I, – I was at work and got my hip broke real bad. And, uh, that ended my motorcycle career. And, uh, so then I found out about, uh, cooking competitions. We had a, uh, rib fest in Peoria mm-hmm. and uh, I entered that and, uh, we didn't do worth a shit in it. Actually the first contest I ever entered, one of my friends had a burger cook off and this was a <laughs> long time ago. This is, you know, um, late eighties. And, uh, Everybody was had their grills there. And, you know, I knew I didn't want to do that. You know, everybody's cooking bar, uh, you know, these hamburgers the same. So I took a um, propane burner and a cast iron skillet. And I made what I called Black Castle burgers. I, I tried to imitate the White Castle method. And, uh, you know, with you, you put a little bit of oil in there and a little bit of water and steam the buns. And, you know, you have these little thin uh, patties and we end up winning that contest so that was our first introduction to competition cooking and then we did the rib thing and that's where i met uh, at the peoria rib fest i met uh, mike lake uh, you I, you know mike right or do you
1: yes oh, oh okay. i know mike uh, yeah
0: yeah i met mike lake and uh he was telling me he was there vending and he's telling me he goes oh you need to come do the, the shannon contest it's, i put it on it was the uh Illinois State Barbecue Championship, and he goes. We do chicken, ribs, pork butt, and brisket. And I go, "What the hell is a pork butt? Does it come from the ass or something?" I did I had no idea. You know, I didn't know what. And um, I said brisket. <laughs> I said I'm only familiar with uh, like, uh, you know, brisket you would have around. Uh, uh, what is it? Corn corn beef brisket? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. corn beef and cabbage that, around. That, uh, that's,
0: yeah. yeah, that's all I was feeling familiar with. So. <laughs> Anyway, we took – in 2000, we took the um, judging class up uh, – Mike put it on. It was up north, northern Illinois. And um, that next spring, I built a um, – out of a 300-gallon uh, tank, I built a cooker.
1: Uh-huh. And
0: so we went to Cairo, Illinois, and there was like 30 teams, and they were paying 10 places, and I'm thinking – Jesus, how hard could this be to get at least one top 10, you know, and, and found out it's a lot harder, you know, especially when you, you know, back then we didn't have the internet. Um, we had, you had to get a book or something, you know, at a bookstore to learn how to cook barbecue. So um, we went down there and I think we did get a 12th place in um and ribs. And that was our best finish. And I didn't understand, you know, how to like management, or time management. And I basically was up all night and then driving home, you know, I'm drinking uh, Mountain Dew and stuff, trying to stay awake. And we had the family <laughs> with us and Everybody's, you know, punching me in the shoulder to keep me awake. And so uh, then we we did another contest uh, in Iowa after that. And we won first place in um, um, what you call uh, an ancillary? You know, is a appetizer. Yeah. And then we so we did five contests that first year. And at the end of the uh, uh, the last contest we did, we did get uh, I think third place in chicken. At the time we were doing, um, and I still have all these things I made them. They were um, like beer can chicken. I made them out of uh, water pipe. And huh. So you put beer and, and, you know, stuff inside there and then you cook the whole chicken Then you know, you dissect it. And, you know, that's still a, a good way to do it because it, it, the skin's on there and it keeps the moisture in.
1: Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> a
0: long um, time ago.
1: Long time ago. Yeah. It's it, that's so funny because I the only thing I knew about brisket was corned beef as well, because my mom would yeah. would make it every every St. Patrick's Day. Uh, we love everyone in barbecue loves to talk about everything they won. One of my favorite things to talk about are failures. Do you have a favorite failure of yours during your contest where something happened or you did something wrong and you really learned from that experience (laughs) moving forward?
0: Well, they used to have what they call it. It was supposed to be the equivalent of the Royal in the spring. It was called the great American barbecue and it was in Kansas city. And, uh, I think there was about 200 teams there and, um, we were, we were cooking really well at at the time, you know, we were right up there and everything. And I don't know what I did. I don't know if I just didn't think about something, but I would take my ribs off uh, when they got, you know, too hot and I forgot to put them back on. And then when we went to prep them to turn in the box, I go, oh crap, these aren't even close to being done. And I think that was the only time we ever got dead ass last in a category. I and mean, they were just at that point, you don't have time to do anything and you just right. put them in the box.
1: Yeah. Those are tough situations and we've all had them. <laughs> what, uh, what's been the most surprising thing to come out of competition barbecue for you?
0: Well, I think the most interesting thing Um, you mean personally? Sure. Okay. Well, you know, we got to travel an awful lot, and, um, the children were younger then and stuff. So we got to see a lot of things that we would not have been able to see, uh, you know, if we hadn't been doing barbecue. Uh, we made a little, in summer especially, we made a little vacations out of it. We, uh, we cooked in Washington D.C. a couple times. Uh, my son got run off by the police for skateboarding on Freedom—I think it's Freedom Plaza—and yep. <laughs> um, then uh, so then we we did uh, Lake Plaza a couple times. And you uh, know the trailer is literally parked on the old outdoor ice skating rink where Eric Haydn won five gold medals. And then right up the hill is where the Miracle on Ice took place in 1980. Uh, we cooked in uh, Daytona, the Daytona 400 parking lot, the Talladega 500 parking lot. We got to go to like the Devil's Tower and Yellowstone and uh, the Badlands. And we saw, um, you know, like the Crazy Horse Memorial. And uh, Yeah. Was, you just get to see a lot of stuff you wouldn't normally see.
1: They have moved the Lake Placid contest down to the horse park.
0: Yeah, I know where that's at. Yeah,
1: yeah, they just uh, this was the second year it was down there. We went up there this year again for it, and uh, it's it's my wife's favorite contest. She loves that place, and but I did get to cook on the speed skating oval, and there is nothing like it in barbecue.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was a neat place, and you know what amazes me is they held the Olympics there twice. The last time being nineteen eighty. It's really a small little town. You just wonder how they fit all those people uh, into Lake Placid.
1: It's yeah, and we were lucky enough to go there this year, and they're actually preparing for this worldwide college games right now. So everything has been updated. All of the Olympic venues have been updated, and it was it's just the change they've made in the town just to get ready for in. Yeah, but I, I, I 100% know what you We drove in there and I'm like, this place had the Olympics? <laughs>
0: this is impossible. It's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah. This podcast is brought to you by BarbecueData.com. BarbecueData.com is your one-stop shop for all of your barbecue competition data. Historical data, calls, wins, placements, everything under one roof. It's a great way not only to track yourself in the standings, but also to track how you improve your scores from year to year. Listeners of this podcast can receive 20% off of a new subscription to BarbecueData.com with the code PITPOD. That's one word, all capital letters, P-I-T-P-O-D, PITPOD. So check your team scores, check on others, and do it all on BarbecueData.com. All right, I'm going to ask this question because I, I just want the advice myself. <laughs> what advice would you give to a smart driven young cook who's about to enter competition barbecue? What advice would you give them?
0: Um okay, when you start out, and most people start out this way, they oversmoke and undercook. Yep. Um and we were guilty of that too. You can't be afraid to cook stuff. Uh, we used to cook stuff, it would take us, you know, we'd start there right when we got there, and it would take for hours and hours and hours. And, you know, I'm, I don't do everything hot and fast, but, uh, you know, that's one of the big uh, mistakes you make. Um, what else? Uh, I had some other stuff written down here about that advice. Um, uh, the biggest advice, and this, I always gave this at, at Scotty's contest, is if you really want to be a competition cook, you have to cook every weekend. And the, And the reason being you need that feedback, especially at first. Now, I always told this at Scotty's cause I said, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know you cook on the weekend at home, you give barbecue to your friends, your relatives. And what do they say? Oh, this is the best shit I ever tasted. <laughs> well, they're, they're damn lying to you. Cause what are they going to do? They're not going to tell you it's terrible because they're getting it free. So <laughs> you need the feedback from the judges, uh, because those are the only ones that count. And, um, There again, if you do have a a bad, you know, experience with the judges, you can't go by a single event because we all know there are tables that are worse than others. So if you don't, and I've seen people do it, they'll have a bad outing at a table and then they want to change everything, you know, for that particular category. And uh, you do not want to do that. You want to give it a shot two or three times before you start changing things. But, uh, and, uh, I know one of the questions on the list was, uh, you know what advice uh, I got personally, and the best advice I ever got, and I, you know it's worth repeating, it was from Byron Chisholm from you know buttrub.com, and and you know we we were pretty good friends with him for years. You know, but we just don't get down south very much. Um, Byron said, take whatever your best, worst category is and work on it till it's your best. And now you'll have a new worst category. you work on it till it's your best, and you just continue that cycle and uh, you will really improve your cooking. And we took that to heart and uh, we worked on stuff. Pork for a long time was uh, not our favorite category, and uh, we were mediocre and you know then in I think 2010 or 11 or 11 or 12, two years in a row, we were pork team of the year. Wow so uh, you know, we got there.
1: Huh. Maybe we'll have a offline conversation about pork after this is over. <laughs> I, you, know, the, the,
0: you, know, you know, I'm on the rules committee, and I mean, the pork rules have changed, but still the methodology of cooking it, uh, you know, is still the same. But, uh, you know, I I would have wished they would have left the rule like it used to be, where you had to cook a minimum of five pounds. But because, uh, you know, if you look at the USDA definition of uh, barbecue, it's uh, – large tough cuts of meat that are cooked low and slow over wood or charcoal and uh we've kind of gotten away from that over the years and uh the the barrels especially have you know they're uh, attributed to the really hot and fast cooking and uh yeah. it works i mean it works well and i you don't have to do low and slow hot and fast does work if you know what you're doing
1: it's i and i've had conversations with many people about this pork rule, and i i think it needs to go back to i think Let's get back to cooking whole butts, and let's we let's stop making it easier. Let's make it more traditional and more what it's supposed to be. I I I get sad when I cook pork now because you know <laughs> I'm like this isn't. Yeah, but
0: <laughs> and you know with the years, the two years we were team of the year, we did do we did pulled pork and slices, but what I would do, I'd, I'd cook the pork, I'd put it on about seven at night. Uh, at the bot and the, the pure custom cookers I have, there's, there's, there's three chimneys on them there. So there's different heat paths. Yeah. So I would, I would have the heat path, uh, go all the way down and I would set it to like two ten all night. And that met down at the bottom away from the firebox. It was about 170 degrees. So those butts would just sit there on a rack at 170 degrees for all those hours. And then when I'd wake up, um, they'd be about 150. So I would finish them off on the top. And uh, we got beautiful pork. Uh, money mussels would come off them. You know, I'd separate them out with my hand, and then we pull them off and slice them. And uh, it turned out really good. And I, I could, you can still do that. It's, just, it's a lot easier just to cook a money muscle. You can do that in just a short period of time.
1: Yeah, and that's – I mean, it changes the whole dynamic of your cooker. It changes everything. You don't have all that mass in there from the pork butt. and uh, Right. And it's something that I've – I think I'm overthinking it, but we'll talk about that later.
0: Well, and you just you hit on something that's real important. It's like when you go to a contest and they want you to cook some butts to give out to the public. And it's like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do it. Because what you said, when you start doing something outside of the ordinary and you're adding more meat in there, it does change the characteristics of the cook. Um, and so I never liked doing it. So if what we would do is i tried try to get the butts or if they wanted us to do it. I'd try to get them ahead of time, and I'd cook them right away when we got there. And we'd carry, a, you know, a cooler with us and a bunch of newspapers. So I'd put the butts, I'd wrap them in foil after they were done, wrap them in newspaper and throw them in the uh, cooler and just leave them there all night. And when they came around to get them, then I'd just hand them to them, you know. And I was done with them. They weren't bothering me anymore. So.
1: <laughs> I've learned uh, um, whenever that's required of me that I cook it on Tuesday and cool it down, vacuum seal it, and then just retherm it in the trailer, and here's your yep. two butts. <laughs> and then I don't have to worry about it. What do you think – now, let's ask this one first. What's missing from competition barbecue these days?
0: Uh, we, yeah, we were talking about this. Uh, it used to be way different uh, back in the old days. We would sit around – on Friday night and, and, you know, it, you know, now everybody, a lot of people get there late. And so they're, you know, they're prepping their boxes and everything, but you know, back in the old days, everybody got there on Thursday, we'd go, right. like, one of my favorite concerts was Mobile, Alabama. We'd get there early Thursday and we had, they had parties and stuff like that. And we'd sit around talking, telling stories. I used to tell stories about my mom uh, that everybody always enjoyed them. My mom was a most horrible cook you can ever imagine. And uh, <laughs> But anyway, And there's a lot of stories about that, but, uh, I'll tell you what barbecue has changed and I will give you my theory on this, that television has changed barbecue. You know, as someone who cooked back in the early two thousands and then all the way up until basically now, and I've had people ask me to go, so the cooks have changed. I go, no, no, it's the judging. I said, okay, these, uh, like pitmaster shows, uh, people see like um, Myron Mixon, Melissa Cookston, Tuffy Stone, and they go, oh. "Man, I could do that." You know, here's Tuffy holding up a burn end, say, "There's too much fat on here; it needs to be rendered out." Well, but they don't—they fa- all fail to understand—is those three are fantastic cooks. They know more about barbecue than ninety-nine percent of the people. So you're not going to be able to just, you know, think you're going to get on TV judging barbecue. It's just not going to happen. And uh, it's really funny because, you know, and I mentioned the thing about Tuffy. I remember him holding up a burn-in and there was a glob of fat on. He said they failed to render that out. And actually, it wasn't anything you could render out. It needed to be trimmed off. Right. And so like two or three weeks later, it wasn't us, but somebody got uh, a comment card. And it said, it was almost verbatim. You go, it, it says you failed to render the fat out of this, you know, that the square cube. They didn't even know the proper name. <laughs> and um, so anyway, that that's what I think changed because um, they started to be very critical because you know, the, you know, really the TV show when the when the judges are up there and they're judging uh, whoever brings their meat up and stuff. They have to be critical of of things because that's part of the show. You got to say, well, this guy could have done this better. Well, that's not part of KCBS. And as a rules committee member, we would get uh, questions all the time from uh, uh, cooks. They go, I saw this on Pitmasters. You know, I saw, you know, at the time you couldn't part your pork. And they go, I saw Diva and she had her money muscle hanging on by just, you know, a a thread of uh, pork it's like, well, first of all, Pitmaster is not KBS. You know, what you see there, you know, it's completely different. So right. it was it was there was really this transition. But and a little bit of it was about cooks, but mainly it was about judges, what they saw on TV. And they thought that's what it meant to be a judge is to be very critical, uh, just <laughs> like uh, Tuffy and Myron and Melissa were. And, yeah. you know, they they actually know what they're talking about.
1: You know, <laughs> we had uh, a couple years ago. I think it's not just barbecue on TV. I think it's also um, just the just cooking shows in general, Food Network. Um, we had a contest here in Virginia and I got a card and it said, not enough umami. Umami. And I'm like, uh, okay, so then it starts spreading through the... Um, through the contest, this guy wrote 14 comment cards, all umami-based. <laughs> so we're walking around, and somebody would yell out, I don't have enough umami, and person person like, I had can you, too much.
0: Did <laughs> you get me some umami? I, I, you know, that is something that most people wouldn't even know about because they don't read cookbooks, but they saw that on television. Yeah. I, I don't know if you know this, but uh, back in 2006, there was a bunch of us that were on uh, a television series. They don't show the reruns anymore. It was uh, oh, can you see this?
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. The barbecue, barbecue Champion, championship championship series. Yeah. Hold up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. And it was out in Reno. It was uh, they did it in the alley uh, behind one of the casinos, and um, it uh was during that big rib burn they have out there Uh okay which I think that was just a couple weeks ago anyway uh so like Joe Davison um Myron Mixon uh Johnny Trigg uh Byron Chisholm uh Adam Perry Lang some other people we we were out there what was interesting about it and I just want to tell you the story because it's just it's really a good story Okay. Uh, you did, we did three categories. Uh, the first category was a big meat. You cooked it on your own pit that you brought. And the second two meats, you had to cook on pits they provided, which, you know, some of them would just chit. But the third category, you had to go to a big aquarium with a net and fish something out of it. That was a lot. <laughs> and they had, um, I got my first round, I got uh, trout. They were live. I knew how to, you know, do fish. I, my dad used to fish. We lived on the Illinois River, so I knew about that stuff. And then the second time I got lobster. Uh, but Byron Chisholm um, got live bullfrogs. Now, <laughs> he didn't know how to dispatch, because you're really, all you're cooking is the frog legs.
1: Right.
0: So he didn't know what to do. And uh, there was a couple other people actually know what to do. They was grabbed the frogs by the legs and hit them on the table and that yeah, would kill him. Byron didn't know what to do. And the thing is we had an audience, we had bleachers and we had a jumbotron. You, you imagine it's big jumbotron and they're, they're focused in and Byron just, Oh my God, I don't know what to do. He set the frog down. He put this big butcher knife behind the head and just crunched down. And he cut the, the head in half and people were getting up from the bleachers and they were like gasping and running. And, uh, that's why you'll never see any live little creatures on any of these Pitmaster shows, because the year we did it, uh, it was just gruesome for the audience.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. I wish I could find that footage somewhere and I'd watch it.
0: <laughs> I think they still, I mean, I think we bought these a few years ago. I think they, you know, they still have them. Nice. But the problem was it was on a uh, versus network. And so like all the, uh, the stuff said VS versus on it. Yeah. And then outdoor the outdoor channel bought it and uh so it, it would be too hard to edit it so that it it didn't say verses on it anymore. Yeah. That's why they haven't done the reruns.
1: Uh that's unfortunate. I, I know people so people are it is good that we've got another barbecue show going right now with Barbecue USA with uh Michael Simon. They're going to do yeah. another season of that coming out and uh yeah, it's good to get get our hobby back out into the out into the spotlight a little bit.
0: There was one episode I didn't quite understand. It might have been Gadsden where they go, you know, the uh, the top two or three, you know, go on and do like a, a finals table, and then they talked about it, but then they never even showed it. They go, well. The first round, that's the main thing anyway. They never even talked. I know, maybe you remember that. I, I do,
1: because we were confused as well. Okay. We <laughs> well,
0: I wasn't, I wasn't the only one confused. It's like, wait a minute, we're getting cheated here. There's there's something missing.
1: Yeah, I, we had no idea what was going on, because it, it was done under um, Alabama Barbecue Association or something, yeah. their, their roles, and, yeah, we were kind of, I don't know. It was hard to follow. But – you know, still the content was, was really good. And Michael Simon did a really good job with this. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit here into gear. Uh, what's one of the best or most worthwhile investments that you've made in competition barbecue?
0: Well, like I, um, like I said, you know, doing the La Caja Chinas, that, uh, you know, invest those were like 165 bucks a piece. I had two of them. That was a real cheap investment, and uh, we were really successful with them. Uh, but um, as far as uh, the big investment, I'm like I said, I'm real good at fabrication. So I had an Oklahoma Joe, and I didn't like the way it cooked so much because I burnt so much fuel. So over the winter, I took And I insulated the firebox, and uh, I changed the way the air came in. I noticed that, and when we were done burning, there'd always I'd burn wood and charcoal. There'd be all kinds of chunks of things that were unburned. And then I got looking. I go, well, I realized the air is just coming in right from the back. It doesn't go under. You always want air to come in under a fire. Fire burns up, and if you burn from the top down, you start to smother things. So I changed that right away. We start burning only one quarter of the fuel that we were burning and it would be a fine ash. And we ended up on that cooker. We've got, I think, 22 GCs on it. And then uh, Bill um, Cusack here in Peoria, who owns Peoria Custom Cookers. He's also a dentist on on the side, but no, that's (laughs) his main job. But he owns a, they fabricate cookers. He came to me and he says, uh, we'd like to build you a cooker. I said, well, you know, I, I can draw it up exactly what I want and so they built me a, a an offset cooker uh, with an insulated firebox and an insulated cook chamber the firebox has uh, three inches of insulation and the cook chamber has two it was it was kind of difficult for them to fabricate it because the doors now had depth two inches of depth right. so you have to angle the sides in so that when it heats up on the inside it doesn't stick so they did that and uh, we ended up with a cooker, uh, which is what we won the jack on, basically. And uh, we, we did really well with it. Um, it uh, but we had about 22,000 in just material. Wow. And uh, anyway, he decided that really that wasn't, a you know, it was too hard to build the thing because it was a round, you know, cook chamber. And so what he did, he started building rectangular ones. He used that same firebox. And use an insulated uh, square box. And that was called the uh, meat monster. And uh, oh, we got a couple of those also. And um, we, because we, when we were cooking a lot, we had a motor at home. We pulled a big cooker. And then uh, we had uh, one of the meat monsters mounted on the back of a trailer for long distance. And uh, those were some of the best cookers there, there you know, there ever was. They, The uh, big one, I had a ball valve on the end of it. And I could, tut, I could set the bulb out just to my, the bone of my thumb. And that thing would just sit there at 275 degrees all day, <laughs> all night. And then finally, and this was about, I think I got it in 2005. And then in 2007, I decided to try a guru and that even made it more steady. Um, and, uh, those, the insulation, uh, in the firebox and the cook chamber, it really slows the airflow down, um, and that's, that's something I taught at Scotty's class. You know, when meat stalls out, I don't know, what kind of cooker do you use? You got a Jambo or
1: Jambo. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's why you probably wrap it about three hours. I would imagine
1: right so, around there. Yeah.
0: Okay. The reason is, is this, it stalls and basically it's almost like a human being sweating at, at when the, you reach an internal temperature, the meat starts to aspire um, moisture and so the, when you have a lot of airflow, like through a jambo, and I mean, it's it's just the nature of that kind of cooker, uh, you start to lose moisture, and it actually brings the temperature, you know, uh, at a stall. So that's why you wrap it, and, you know, you don't have to deal with stall. But in cookers that are really well insulated, uh, you know, like the um, uh, Deep South, uh, yeah. the stumpies and stuff that are, you know, gravity feed, and these custom cookers are so well insulated. They have very little airflow through them, so you don't have to worry about stall. You never have to wrap. Uh, it, the last time we wrapped uh, ribs it was like 2007 or 8. I haven't wrapped wow. ribs that many years. Um, we do wrap brisket, and that's just, um, you know, I, I've never been able to cook a brisket without wrapping, and I tried. I just <laughs> couldn't do it. Pork, we used to, when the years we were pork team of the year, we never wrapped pork at all. And of course, you don't wrap chicken at all. But we had chicken down to where we were doing it in about eighteen minutes. Now, I will tell you this also with chicken: we were one of the few teams that turned in white meat along with dark, and we do, we did it. I mean, the whole time we cooked. And uh, so, w- when people come, they would always ask, they knew we did a lot of them did, and they would say, "Well, I, we're, I'm going to the jack. I qualified for the jack. What do I do?" And I would explain to them how to do white meat. And if you want, I can go into that a little bit. I do sure. Realize. Yeah. Okay.
1: I was going to ask, so, are you doing breasts or are you doing
0: wings? Well, or? No, the secret, well, we always did breasts. I would buy whole chickens and I would breast them out, but I would leave as much, I would I would just, you know, sacrifice the rest of the chicken, take as much skin off so I had something to wrap around the breast. I then would tie that. So, because skin holds the moisture in really well. And then, uh, you know, on, on your firebox, you can burn that skin and... Um, then uh, we've set it aside and inject it after we burnt the skin. That way you get some nice color on it for the next day. But anyway, um, so at the jack, you, you're required to do seven pieces. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do that in chicken, and I know a lot of people, they'll think, well, I'll just throw a wing in there, you know, along with my six thighs. It's like, you're just going to get your ass handed to you. Yep. And, and we have a good record. We've got um, we got a third. I think we got a couple fifths and a 10th at the Jack in chicken. And I, I, to be honest with you, twice we use Cornish hens. So, but the other times we use lollipop thighs. But anyway, um, so on the on the white meat, you know, we, we do this thing where we wrap it and we cook it super hot and then uh, we slice it. We got a slicer in the trailer and stuff like that. Um, but here's the thing: if you just turn in one, one little piece of white meat, you, you'll get your ass handed to you. So what you got to do, you basically have to put 12 in. You need six pieces of white and you need six dark. And if you don't do that, you're just going to get scored down. And the other thing you absolutely do not want to do: you don't want to chop up white meat and put it in the bottom of the box. I mean, yeah. I've judged the jack, and if you do that to me, I'm just going to give you a shit score because that's just <laughs> <done> being lazy.
1: <laughs> There's so many little nuggets in there of. Well, I, you know,
0: I'll, I'll tell you about sauce too. If you want to, you know, we we got a trophy uh, up here. I got a third place trophy in sauce. They give you a little Styrofoam cup. Okay, yeah. take white vinegar because Styrofoam's got a shitty. Uh, you know, it gives off when it gets warms up. It gives it gives off a little gas and stuff. So take white vinegar, wipe it out, shake it in there, let it dry out. Uh, get your sauce, whatever it is, you know, kind of lukewarm, and pour it in there. Now the, you got to use uh, Jack Daniels in it, right? So, take a paper towel, soak it in Jack Daniels, and then wipe the lid, and then put the lid on, take it, and turn it in. Now, when they open it up, what do they get? They get a whiff of Jack Daniels, but uh, it's not in the (laughs) sauce.
1: That's brilliant. (laughs) I'm going to have to, yeah, there'll be a lot of people who'll be listening to that.
0: Well, you know, I'm I'm probably not going back to the Jack, so, you know, um, it's like, was it two years ago Uh parrot had i went with him because i've you know i've helped him before and he's helped me and stuff so um i i helped him with chicken because you know i said listen i i've done this more than any i've cooked white meat more than anybody in because we do it every week and so we did uh we did the white meat and he did did some that was kind of basted uh braised uh-huh. and you know, we cook the other chicken like I do, where we tie it up in the skin, and uh, I think he ended up turning my the stuff that uh, you know um, I came up with, and I think that was his best category. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, don't don't put uh, don't put little drumettes or wings in there. Just put uh, you know, show them you know how to cook. And white here's the other thing with white meat. They say to cook it to 180. That It's crap if you cook the 180. You have to, like, we cooked it really hot. I cook it at, like, uh, 400 to get it going. Because we're talking about a big breast, you know, something like that. Big right. around. And so then after about 15, I can't remember now, 15 or 20 minutes, we take it off and we put it in the, the main cooker at a lower temperature with a probe in it. And I'll tell you why you have to have the probe in it if you use a uh, Thermapen when you go through that outside, which is really hot, it'll give you a false reading. Because uh, mm-hmm. it took us a while to figure that out. It's like, God, oh, this chicken. You know, it should be done. And it'd be raw on the inside. So anyway, we start just using probes that were in there all the time. Yeah. And, it, and you, you check it with a Thermapen and completely different, you know, um, readings. And the reason is thermopens I don't think they read real well at like uh, lower temperatures. Because you have to determine on that breast what's your uh overrun is so if say you stop at uh 140 because you're cooking it hot you got to mm-hmm. know what it's going over to and then you got to work your way backwards and um but yeah. uh you don't you don't want to go to 180 anywhere near it but no. uh, we always injected the shit out of our breast and it was really good and juicy
1: huh now i gotta try that <laughs> So you've already answered the purchase of hundred dollars or less. You got any other good nuggets there for in in that realm?
0: Um. Well, like I say nobody ever figured out what we were doing, and we just—that's <laughs> so funny. These wouldn't i mean, you could—I don't even think we uh, we cook the using the turkey size, which I don't think they make anymore. They make a whole hog one. Uh, they do make like a smaller one that's made of metal. But these, were, these are things, you, you order them, they come in a box. Uh, there's a bunch of wing nuts and stuff. You just put it together. I think it was like 165 bucks, And then uh, they're really cheaply kind of made, but they hold up. And we, we had one for the motorhome and one for the trailer. And uh, <laughs> we took them around. With, and I'll tell you what, last year at the Royal, I took it down there and I cooked my chicken and my pork on it. I had been practicing pork doing um, doing uh, like four-pound um, what they call them uh ct butts
1: yeah
0: and uh i didn't practice them at home and they were turning out fantastic but what we were doing at home we'd cook them and then we throw them on ice to stop them and then you know then the next day i'd heat them up because i was trying to go through exactly what we'd be doing at the royal and for some reason i don't know i was i lost my head down there and uh I forgot to throw them on ice. I just left them in the uh, Cambro. And then when we heated them up the next day, they were just mush. So it's like, we were really screwed on pork. And that was by far our worst category. And, uh, you know, we hadn't cooked in over a year. And uh, our brisket still got about, I think, 50 of it, which, you know, at the, at the Royal, that's not too bad. <laughs>
1: that's pretty good.
0: We're not having cooked. Absolutely.
1: And so, <laughs> well, this next set of questions is about people. And I'm just. I'm dying to know who has impacted your life the most in competition barbecue. Uh,
0: well, like I said, Byron's little advice there about uh, cooking, uh, taking your worst category and cooking it till it becomes your best category—that's probably the best advice I got. But when we started out, you know, we didn't know anything. You know, I didn't know what a pork butt was and all that. You know, I, I had to read cookbooks. Uh, so there was a few teams, um, Smokers Wild. they they're retired now. Out of you know Kansas area, um, Raccoon Flats. They're out of Des Moines, uh, and uh, again Byron Chisholm. So you know, and the thing was, it just needed simple questions answered. It's like, okay, I'm doing pork. How how do I slice pork? What do I have to do to slice pork? You know, now you guys can get on the internet and you can find out exactly what temperature to cook it to. But you know, nobody really knew this stuff back then. You had to read books, and so yeah. you know, you'd ask them that, and they said, we'll just you know you. It, you cook one butt to a certain temperature and another butt to another temperature, and then like raccoon flats, uh, they they would they were at the jack several times, you know, and they've been retired for quite a while, but uh, you know they helped out with like sauces and stuff, and uh, you know, um, oh, they the big thing is uh, I learned how to do uh, bone-in pork loin from them. We used to one of the big contests here in the Midwest was the uh, pork the great pork barber And it was grandfathered in, so you still got points for uh, ribs and pork, but you did also whole hog and uh, pork loin. So, anyway, you know, we messed around, did, you know, pork loin, boneless pork loin. That that really didn't work. And then, so, I talked to them. They go, yeah, do bone in pork loin. Once we started doing that, uh, it was, like, brand new. (laughs) And uh, so, we ended up, we won pork loin. Twice, I think we cooked cooked it uh, probably somewhere around nine or ten years. We won it twice, and uh, the last time we won it, the GC was ten thousand dollars. I mean, because they got money from the pork board. Right. Uh, we we won whole hog out there once, and uh, hog is just uh, you, you might as well just take your car or your uh, cooker to the car wash afterwards because it's just a, a mess. A it's a giant fat mess. Meat everywhere but uh you know I, I don't I don't really want to cook whole hog anymore but uh, if I have to I will but yeah we <laughs> pork loin and we won it twice and uh we won whole hog at, at the barber claus hall but remember when they had uh the swine flu come through the United States, which oh, had yeah. nothing to do with pigs. So yeah. people quit buying pork and all the money dried up for the contest and I think uh two thousand nine or ten was uh was the end of that contest. And it was a Ugh. contest.
1: When you hear the word successful in terms of barbecue, who's the first person that comes to mind?
0: Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot of people, but the the one that really led the way in KCBS was Johnny Trigg. Yep. I, I know he's at 100 now, but uh, he's still cooking there sometimes. Um, and I'm just joking, you know that. But uh, <laughs> when we started cooking uh, in 2001, Johnny came up here and cooked all the time in in illinois and iowa which is where we cooked so you know he was the man to beat and i remember you know it took a few contests but then we you know like the second year we would start to beat johnny in a category or so And we were really proud of ourselves until we realized well yeah but he's running the gc and we're still down the, the list of ways <laughs> and uh, so it took us a long time and you know finally you know we started to get to that level and uh, johnny was always a pretty good guy we always talked and we were pretty good friends and uh you know he cooks, I think he's cooked once this year. I'm not sure, but he, I don't know if he cooks in Texas at all or not, but, but Johnny really was one of the pioneers in the area, uh, um, when we started out and, uh, there's been a lot of people since then, but, uh, he was probably the one of the first ones that was really a superstar.
1: He's a, uh, yeah, I love that man. He and I've got to spend some time together and it, it, I just, Cherish every moment. He's hilarious. (laughs) I
0: I did get, you know, when we were out in Reno, uh, he was in the first round with me. And uh, so when we, we, I forget what we did. We cooked, um, I think, chicken, whole chickens. You had to cook them whole. And then I forget what the second category was. And then the last one was Trout, and uh, I ended up beating him for uh, our, our round by just a little bit. So I eliminated Johnny. When uh, <laughs> in 2006, but,
1: uh, uh, I'm sure he's he's forgotten about it. Probably. <laughs> probably not. There was a lot of people
0: forgot about that. <laughs> I, you know, Myron Mix, uh, Myron Mixon's famous line was, uh, "He cooked um, venison tenderloin." and he goes yeah that's the second time i've cooked it the first and the last and uh, <laughs> I, I I know he hated cooking because you know venison tenderloin is so lean and you've got to cook it real hot and fast and i'm not sure he hit it right but uh, there was some weird stuff we had to cook uh um they had some kind of uh what's those fish down in south america that got the teeth piranhas the piranhas yeah yeah and somebody got stuck with piranhas and that was hilarious too to watch but uh, <laughs> you can find the disc i mean it's, there's some funny crap on it
1: i'm gonna have to find it do you have any are you a superstitious guy do you have any habits or rituals or routines that you got to do when you're at a contest
0: well the only ritual you know as i got older I had, I wanted to get as much sleep as I could. So by doing the brisket, you know, we'd have our brisket done and on ice, usually about five or 6 PM. And so then, um, uh, we really didn't have to do too much till the, the next morning or, or I'd put pork on at night, but at a roll of temperature. So my superstition was just getting to bed about before 10 and I'd wake up at five. I needed that seven and a half hours of sleep. And, uh, some of my friends always joke about that. I go, did you get your seven and a half hours of sleep? Yeah. And then, you know, I always did for the most part
1: so important, man. It is, uh, that's the one major thing I learned, uh, the first time I went or the only time really that I got to go to the king of the smokers thing. And I'm looking around at two in the morning, you know, staring at my backwoods and I'm the only one out there. Yeah. And everyone comes rolling out of bed at six thirty seven, lights their pits and goes on their way. And I'm like, I looked at my wife and I said, "We got to figure out a." It's like all these guys got a full night of sleep, you know. I did not, and it's it's made a huge difference in the way that we cook.
0: Well, and it, the big thing to me was driving home, um, especially after I don't know. You ever heard about the Wiener Dog incident? No, we were, we were coming out of Grand Junction, Colorado, and uh, we we had a pretty good cook there, and uh, there was a cop alongside the road. And he has lights on. And I slowed down. I was only going about 30-something. And we're in I-70. And uh, so I put my blinker on to go over on the, in the other lane. And all of a sudden, I look up, and there's a utility truck. And he just slams on his brakes right in front of me. Well, I got a trailer. I can't stop that quick. And so I peeled up the passenger uh, fender, peeled off the tire and everything. Mm-hmm. And come to find out people down over the hill, they had a wiener dog and the thing had constantly, you know, it's not, not when the first wreck it caused it, it was like the third one, <laughs> the damn wiener dog got on the road and the guys in front of me, you know, rather than just run the damn thing over, they slammed <laughs> the brakes on and uh, they did like 10, 10 K, you know, damage to the to dodge. Oh. So then, then we're cooking the next week in, um, Oh, where was it? Uh, in Alabama, and uh so anyway we got a flight home and luckily I, you know we had two two dodge trucks at the time and uh so we got home and, and uh i slept i ate and then uh, monday morning i was there uh and picked up the trailer i went over the damn rockies twice in one day and when oh. i finally got back over on the other side you know coming home i just stopped and i just put the seat back as far as it was go and i slept <laughs> for I don't know how many hours but uh we got decatur alabama so we got we got down there and cooked Decatur, you know, and, and I had her on my wife. uh, She went and picked out, you know, all the meat and garnish and everything. So, you know, when I got home, all I had to do was prep. But uh, I mean, that's the kind of shit we did back then. You were just dedicated. Uh, And, you know, like I said, we would cook 40, 45 times a year. We were home sometimes only two or three days a week. Sometimes we'd be gone. Um, We did a swing where we would, uh, you know, and I know I was never afraid to do this. I would prep meat, vacuum pack it. And in the trailer, we have a 12-volt. It's a slash cooler slash freezer. We'd set it for 28 degrees. And so i do three three contests worth of meat, and we would, you know, put two of the week's contest in that thing at 28 degrees. So we would either do like Rochester, Minnesota, or Gillette, Wyoming. And then in the middle of the week, the Montana State Fair, they'd have that. So we'd do that like on Wednesday and a Thursday, and then we go down to Warland. So the only problem was garnish. You know, some, sometimes garnish will not last very long. And in Wyoming, you can't find any damn uh, parsley. <laughs> right. So, and this leads to another little thing I'm not sure you're aware of, but um, let's see if I can find it. <laughs> um, so anyway, Pearhead, a good friend of mine, and we came up with, uh, why can't we use par- uh, kale, Right. Yeah. Look at this stuff lasts forever, and they sell it everywhere at Walmart and everything. And so, you know, here's a little kale. Kale. <laughs> and if you can read it, let's see. Let's see. Where's my name? Right there. Can you see? <laughs> Mike yeah, Osney? I can. Yeah. So we push, and it. You know, being on the rules committee, it took about two years because they go. We already have all this stuff. We have cilantro, blah blah. It's like nobody uses cilantro. Just forget that crap. And so anyway, we there was a lot of people that were reluctant. They go, well, "It's a cabbage. It'll stink when you put warm." And of course, it doesn't. You know, you'd have to scald it or something. But yeah. Uh, so anyway, we go look, and, and I explained it over. And I said, "Look, we cook out west. Sometimes we go out to Montana we go out to Wyoming. You can't get parsley out there. You know, you just can't." Be, and so. But you can get kale everywhere in at Walmart, cause, and it's in pretty good shape. So finally, reluctantly, uh, we got the got it passed with the rules committee, and then the board adopted it. And it's been a rule now for seven years that you can use kale. Yeah. And we always used it. I know a lot of people use it. And uh, you can really thank Perry that he was the one that really suggested it. <laughs> and then I pushed it through. Do you use kale? I don't
1: Um. We go back and forth between kale and parsley, and it really depends on how much shit I want to get from my wife. (laughs) She loves kale boxes. She hates parsley boxes.
0: Because kale boxes are really easy to do. yeah, They
1: are. And if I'm by myself especially, I'm probably going to do kale because I can bust out four boxes in like 25 minutes, and I'm ready to go.
0: Well, let me tell you who to blame for the damn parsley boxes. You know, when we first started cooking, Uh, You would just take lettuce and you would punch it into the corners. You would just kind of, you know, border the box and put a little bit of lettuce in the bottom. And literally, they would give us your boxes Saturday morning. And uh, you would build your box as you're putting the meat in it. Okay. And then Donnie Teal, you know, Donnie Teal. Oh, yeah. I think Him and Smokers Wild. I I don't know which one started, but those are the culprits there that began all this crap where they make the putting green with parsley. And, uh, no. so if you want to blame anybody for that, that's, that's who to go to. And, uh, and I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I, I think I'm correct. And, uh, Donnie. so anyway, then, you know, and I always hated building boxes. I hated doing parsley. If you couldn't get good parsley, it would take you forever. Yeah. Uh, so sure. I'm glad we do kale. And I, I don't think we even buy parsley anymore. I think we just buy the kale and, uh, we, we do, uh, <laughs> do a little, a little bit of lettuce.
1: Oh man, that is a great story. I can't wait to yell at Donnie Teal about that.
0: He'll deny <laughs> it, I guarantee it.
1: Oh, he denies everything.
0: It's, it's like uh, there was, you know, they had to pass a rule that you can't use the core of lettuce in the box. Yeah. Now, I've always heard it was parrot head, but, and he'll deny it. And I, so I don't, you know, I don't know what the truth is, but that's who I always heard put the core of a lettuce in there, you know, and then, you know, you have, you have some leaves going out and stuff. So, you know, I, I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to plan to do a part two of this because we got through about half the questions, if that. Um,
0: I told and- you I could, I could talk about. Well, yeah, I mean, I've been doing this a long, time, so I know a lot about, and I got a lot of stories, and there's a lot more that we didn't get to. But uh...
1: well, let's let's if you'll agree to do a part two, I would love to do it.
0: Yeah, let's uh, uh, let's wait a while and we'll do it in a few weeks if you want. That, or something. That'll be I'm awesome.
1: But I do want I actually
0: get better uh, reception with the uh, uh, signal here of on Zoom in the uh, in the winter when it's cold. Okay. We hit a good day here. It's high pressure. We had we've had all that humid heat here last yeah. few days, and then the, the uh, front came through. So it's, it's and, coming you know,
1: through here right now.
0: <laughs> well, and that's like when you have you ever cooked at altitude? Yes. Okay. We, we cooked in Dillon and I think it's like nine thousand feet. And uh I, I remember I couldn't even get uh the pro or the little butane lighter to light to get the Man, yeah. I had to go borrow matches from somebody and they it was just weird. We put it's everything a, on about or the big meats on an hour early, so you know weather's it's It's
1: it's a huge thing. It's uh you know, we cook this contest in Wise, Virginia every year and You know, you're not up that high, but you're up higher than you usually are where we cook. And, I mean, sometimes when the front blows through, you can feel the barometric pressure drop. And there was one one day, it happened right, like around 10 o'clock on Saturday, and you just heard everybody kind of bitching about, hey, this brisket, you know, it's not coming up. And I'm like, I've seen this before. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she's done <laughs> get her out
0: <laughs> yeah we had a. Uh, I bought one of the things so i could put two of the big fan guru fans on for when we cooked at altitude yeah uh so you get more air going through and that's really the only thing we ever changed but yeah it, it is difficult and i screwed my kids up on the kids queue you know it only takes like six minutes to cook a steak and uh I thought, well, we don't need to start the fire yet. And when I started tried to start the fire, the damn thing I couldn't get it lit, and uh, <laughs> they they scored down a little bit. I thought they were going to win, but they scored down because I couldn't get the damn fire lit on their. They had they gave all the kids, you know, one of them little grills that are about eighteen inches. Well,
1: let's uh, let's get into these rapid fire questions. Okay, here to here to wrap up. What do you see about barbecue on social media that upsets or bothers you?
0: Uh, when people put boxes up and ask other people to judge them and they're super critical and they're going, you know, they're going, well, the, the, the color, it's not quite, you know, consistent or anything. It's like, Jesus, this is barbecue. What's wrong with you people? It's, it's not a painting by Van Gogh.
1: Right. (laughs) That also annoys me. Do you have any uh, favorite pre during or post competition meals?
0: Um, I'll tell you, we used to do at the, uh, Royal, and this was my favorite thing. Uh, we'd cook a prime rib and we would invite people. Um, uh, one of my friends from Des Moines would come down to help. And I, you had to watch him cause he'd go into the trailer and he was cutting the spinalis or the rind off the, uh, prime <laughs> rib and he was, he was eating it and we had to stop him and say, you can't just eat that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we, I, I actually, uh, we're pretty good at cooking prime rib. In fact, uh, the jack asked us uh, to do a recipe for him, and uh, they they used it in one of their brochures. Or oh, that's
1: recipe. cool. Do you have a favorite present that you like to give to people?
0: Well, as I like I like to fabricate things. I do a little woodworking and stuff, oh. and I make uh, I make little gifts and stuff for the kids for Christmas and stuff. You know, like uh, um. see this thing. It, it's well, an amplifier for phone. You, stick, you stick your phone in right here and then uh it's, it's got a wave it amplifier i mean on. it does it's not electronic or anything but it, it works like an old phonograph and uh when you want to listen to something so i make stuff like that
1: that's awesome
0: right now i'm uh i'm building my man cave our barn has an apartment in it It used for the barn manager because it used to be a horse barn. And so the first room um, is going to be my cigar room. I've got it all pretty well done. Uh, I'll send you a picture when we get it done. But it's a a man cave, the cigar theme. And I I love cigars.
1: That's awesome, man. Yeah, you're going to have to definitely send me that whenever uh, you get it done. Last question. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, getting a message out to millions, what would it say and why?
0: Okay, I prepared for this. Okay, (laughs) Uh, this is a quote from uh, George Plimpton. And uh, this quote came from uh, when we were kings. It was a a documentary about Muhammad Ali and George Foreman when they fought in Zaire. Zaire. Uh, Ali won and uh, convincingly, but he wasn't supposed to. And he went on and kept fighting way past his prime. And, you know, he ended up with Parkinson's and stuff like that. And George Plimpton uh, was one of the uh, narrators of the documentary. And he says, as it happens with people who love a thing too much, it destroys them. And then he goes on, he says, Oscar Wilde, who was an Irish poet, said, you just you destroy the thing you love. And he said, that's not the way it's the other way around. What you love destroys you. And, and, you know, there's some truth to that with uh, uh, barbecue. How many people do you know lost their jobs because of barbecue or they got a divorce or their girlfriend left them? Uh, I know I can go down a list. I can name a whole bunch of I can name one of your good friends that used to be in logistics in a trucking company. And uh, he was told and this is a quote. And I remember it. He said, they told him, they said, it's too bad that your job interferes with your barbecuing. And uh, that guy turned around. And I'm sure it was a good thing for him because now he's one of the most successful restaurateurs uh, in the area. So uh, I think, you know, who I'm talking about.
1: I do. I and do.
0: he's been extremely successful. So I'm sure that he doesn't care that he's not in logistics anymore. <laughs>
1: That, I have a similar story myself. So.
0: <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, we just have – I, I know I can name about 10 of them that, you know, they were said, that's just too bad. You know, this interferes with your uh, cooking so much. And one guy gave up being a plumber, which, is, um, which is, he probably shouldn't have done because he yeah. had a union card and stuff. but.
1: Uh, <laughs> Well, Mike, I want to thank you for being on here. Uh, this has been a pleasure. I can't wait for part two. We're going to miss you this week at the Royal, um, but we'll be thinking about you.
0: Well, I appreciate you giving me an opportunity, and like I say, I told you when we spoke before that uh, you know I, could, I can talk and talk and uh, fill up uh, time, so I, I have no idea. I guess we've been talking uh, for an hour or so. Oh, yeah,
1: definitely, but we definitely have another hour in us, so we'll get to it here in a little while, and... Thank you again.
0: Okay, thanks, Luke. Nice talking to you. Yep. Take it easy. Good luck.
1: Thank you for listening to Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast. Be sure to subscribe and like the podcast, rate the podcast, and share it out with all your friends. Also, be sure to check out the Old Virginia Smoke YouTube channel as well. Tune in next week for another great episode of Pitmaster. For companies interested in advertising, please contact Old Virginia Smoke directly via www.oldvirginiasmoke.com. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is edited by Chris Sedanka. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is a property of Old Virginia Smoke, LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2022. Old Virginia, Old Virginia Smoke.